Ladies and gentlemen, if you could step as far forward and close together as you can. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Get real close. Okay, the director's ready. Talent's ready. Cue the opening. W. my friends and welcome to the WDW radio show your Walt Disney World information station I am your host Lou Mangello and this is show number 329 for the week of July 7th 2013 I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast as well as my new Disney in a minute videos blog live broadcasts special events my Walt Disney World trivia books audio tour CDs and more, you can find everything over at www.radio.com. This week's episode is brought to you by audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash radio. There are tons of books available for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any MP3 player, including lots of Disney books like the Kingdom Keeper series, Neil Gabler's Walt Disney biography, and much more. Again, you can sign up for free at audibletrial.com slash WDW Radio. We're going to visit Disney's Hollywood Studios this week and take a close look at the history, stories, and secrets of the great movie ride. We'll explore not just how it came to be, its changes and details, but virtually visit each scene and also discuss what we would change and why, and then ask you to do the same. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned for some announcements, including information about our upcoming e-ticket event weekend. I'll then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Many attractions in Walt Disney World have interesting stories about how they came to be, from those that had their origins out in Disneyland to others that were inspired by movies or folklore or fake lore, history or cultures from around the world, or maybe our thirst for adventure and excitement. But only one, I think, can claim that it was born from something much grander, which was its own theme park. And of course, I'm talking about the Great Movie Ride whose genesis came not from the studios, but from a concept for a, from a park whose focus is on the future. So today in this DSI Disney scene investigation, we're going to talk about how the great movie ride came to be and why, as well as many more of its stories and details and secrets, maybe a few fun facts you may not have known before to help you give a new appreciation of this iconic attraction. Joining me this week is a man who knows that his this job is perfect for him because he loves the movies. He's an author, Disney historian, magician, storyteller extraordinaire, and a fan of musical extravaganzas. He is, of course, Jim Corcus. Well, thank you so much, Lou. Again, always a pleasure. And uh, to all of you uh, listening, thank you very much. Hooray for Hollywood. And, and of course, this is the perfect uh, topic for this week because uh, those of you who follow along know that Lou has lost so much weight he looks like a movie star <laughs> and and so I would suggest that you go to the uh, shop section at uh, WDW uh, Radio so that you buy that Lou Mangello miracle <laughs> diet powder that, that you mix with uh, Italian pasta and uh, you, too, can, can, can look like a uh, young movie star. And, and, in fact, go and take a look at the, the shop section. I think a lot of you forget that. I, I was up in uh, uh, Dayton, Ohio, at uh, their Disneyana event uh, last week, and this very charming uh, 24-year-old um, 
young lady named Kim came up to, to purchase a book and get it autographed, and, and she said how much she loved uh, hearing me on Lou's broadcast. Uh, and, and I said, but gee, you're wearing a uh, T-shirt. If you love Lou so much, she says, well, does he sell T-shirts? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> and he sells even more. And so, so Kim, I'm telling you right now, I, I, I know you listen to other podcasts. When you're listening to this podcast, write in, write in to Lou. I will pay for you to have a WDW Radio T-shirt. So when you're wandering out there in Michigan, people will know what they should be, be listening to. But, you know... A great movie ride is such a terrific attraction. I love it. I love the original one before things stopped working that uh, uh, was there in uh, 1989. But but Lou, you alluded to uh, to something that uh, great movie ride actually got its start somewhere else, right? Exactly. But I, but I, let's touch on that for a second, right? It, it's sort of our love of the great movie ride. Whether is it is it more nostalgic? Do we still love this attraction? Is it a must-do for you? Or, is, you know, when you go to the studios, is the great movie ride something that you do every time? And is it more because you, you love the attraction so much, or is it a sense of nostalgia for you? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer right now that uh, I'm of that generation that grew up watching these, these old movies on TV with my mom and dad and just absolutely, you know, fell in love with them. But I am also familiar with the fact that we have a generation or two generations that don't know any of these films. If, if you went up to someone and said, uh, Footlight Parade, you know, uh, they might say, oh, isn't that something in the great movie, right? As opposed to, my gosh, this was a magnificent Busby Berkeley film, and it transformed how dances and musical numbers were, were staged. And again, Disney is always looking to change. Here's a little secret just for listeners of WDW Radio. The alien section was going to be removed, and it was going to be removed and replaced because, believe it or not, Disney was in negotiations with Peter Jackson for Lord of the Rings. So there was going to be a Lord of the Rings scene in the great movie ride. However, negotiations fell apart, and Jackson is taking Lord of the Rings, and it's going to Universal. But the great movie ride, there could have been an updated scene. And, and so I think the other question Lou should be asking is not, is this nostalgic or whatever, but can the great movie ride be enhanced or saved by having some updated scenes in there rather than these wonderful classics that I love people are unfamiliar with. Right. And that's, you know, you, you mentioned Great Movie Ride, and the conversation automatically turns to it needs to change. How do you change? What movies do you put in? How do you re represent certain genres? And I think at the end of the segment, we should talk about that. Maybe sort of we'll play Imagineer for a day and let listeners do the same thing. Because I think you're right. As you go through iconic films, Mary Poppins, Indiana Jones, Maybe Tarzan, you know, but you go to the well, underworld you scene. Know, Mary Poppins is fifty years old. I next know, year. Uh, right? But you go to the the underworld scene. You say Little Caesar, and people think Pizza Pizza. They don't think Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> That's very true. That's very very true. Or or you say Scarface, and you don't think about the classic Warner Brothers film uh, from the forties. You you think about the Al Pacino. Say hello to my little friend. Right. Right. So, well, well, let's get to that um, as we go through. Well, well, let, 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 let's, let's start at the beginning. You know, you alluded to this, that it was actually going to be a uh, pavilion. Marty Scalar worked on it, and Randy Bright did, and, and even Ward Kimball, that there was going to be a p pavilion between imagination and the land. And so there's going to be this huge building, but you wouldn't have seen a huge building because it would have been uh, painted. So it looked like the sky, so it blended into the sky. And down at the bottom is a very small uh, theater marquee. I, I, I think it was uh, red and gold. And you walk through the door of, of that marquee, and then suddenly you're in the pavilion building. And there was going to be an attraction called um, Great Movie Moments or Great Moments at the Movies. There, there were variations of that. 
And there was also going to be a um, dark ride, a traditional dark ride, uh, designed by Ward Kimball, where you would go through uh, the making of a 1930s uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon. But, but again, it would be a wild, crazy cartoon studio, so when you were in the animation section, whatever. And so it's, it was going to start life as uh, a pavilion at Epcot. And it's interesting when you talked about what the exterior was going to look like, very different from, from the grand theater that we have now. It was very much made to look fake, right? It sort of embraced mm-hmm. that how fake Hollywood is. It looked just like, you know, a square painted backdrop, and you almost sort of didn't know what you would see once you got inside. Absolutely. And, and, and again, that was part of the thing is the illusion of the movies. You know, what is real, what is not real. And you're step, and, and again, uh, you would be stepping into the movies, which, which was a concept that carried over when it, when it was finally opened at Disney MGM. Right, and I think, too, the name that you have to associate with this is one, and, and, and I seem to find myself almost accidentally defending it, because when you say the name Michael Eisner, people roll their eyes, right? You always remember the bad stuff. You always remember how he mm-hmm. left. You don't remember that it was he who said, hey, there's enough here, not just for a single attraction, but enough to create an entire theme park around it based on Hollywood, based on show business as a whole, constructed sort of around this this center. You know, this was sort of the hub of what was going to be the studios. Yes, and, and, and a lot of people forget um, how magnificent Great Movie Ride was because there were plans for it um, at three different locations out in California. Originally, it was going. Uh, uh, they, there were plans for a uh, Disney MGM uh, Studios right next to the uh, Burbank Studios out there, and the centerpiece was going to be the Great Movie Ride. And 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 a little while ago, we talked about um, Roger Rabbit, and that at Disneyland for the um, Disney Decade, they were going to have that Hollywoodland running parallel right behind Main Street, and there'd be a Roger Rabbit section. But the great movie ride was also going to be there. And a lot of people forget that original plans for Disney California Adventure is the great movie ride was going to be a centerpiece in that Hollywood backlot studio. Yeah, and, and the you know, sort of making this the, the center icon, I think it helped to sort of define the aesthetics of what this and look we, we've done a full episode where we've basically walked down Hollywood Boulevard and walked down mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes because it, rather than they sort of divide the park into yeah part of it looks like a studio light like that typical California backlot tour but they really embrace the, the Hollywood of the 20s and the 40s and those landmarks that, that you see in the shops and the restaurants, you know, the, from, from the, the, the eateries to the pharmacies to the, that, that sort of very kitschy California crazy design. I think the great movie ride and the theater really helped to define what the studio itself ended up looking like. Yeah, and, and in fact, one of the reasons that uh, Disney Hollywood Studios is one of my favorite Disney theme parks is it's very similar uh, to Disneyland, do you, do you know that the length from the at Disney MGM Studio, Disney Hollywood Studios, from the uh, turnstiles to Grauman's Chinese Theater is exactly the same length as at Disneyland coming in and from the train station walking down to the castle. And the castle, of course, at Disney MGM Studios was Grauman's Chinese Theater, and and it wasn't. It wasn't, you know, oh, well, we're using false perspective and we're using, you know, a, a percentage. It was full size. Mm-hmm. They pulled out the actual blueprints for, for Grauman's Chinese uh, theater. In, in fact, the roof had to be built separately and then uh, with a crane put on top of that. It is, and in fact, not only... Now, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, uh they added in details from the theater in the 30s and 40s that had been removed right. by the 80s. And, and, of course, by the 80s, it had been purchased by Man Theater, so it was called Man's Chinese Theater. And then later it went back to being Grauman's Chinese Theater, referring to Sid Grauman, who uh, oper- operated uh, that theater. And then, of course, in the 90s, late 90s, 
uh, Grauman's uh, Chinese Theater got really upset uh, with Disney, and they said, "Look, you're you're doing the the handprints in the forecourt. You've got this. You're you're using this on postcards and as and as an icon, and that's you know uh, destroying." Uh, some of the value that we have, the uniqueness for this theater. And so that's why today, uh, it, it, take a look at the guidebooks and all that, it's just called the Chinese Theater, not Grauman's Chinese Theater anymore. And it's, it's also one of the reasons that they stopped doing the uh, handprint uh, ceremony in front there. And some people claim it's also one of the contributing reasons that we get that... Um, architecturally magnificent <laughs> hat uh, in, 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 in front of it uh, there. But, yes, but originally, 1989, you stepped in, and you're going down Hollywood Boulevard just like you're going down Main Street, USA, and you're going to the castle in the, di- in the right. distance. But that castle is that mo- – it really is a castle. It's a movie palace. It's one of the best-known movie palaces in the world. Just loved it, and it was a beautiful view. You're, you're right, and, and we sort of we, we forget how that looks, and people uh, can debate uh, their their love or, or dislike of the hat. We understand why it's there, you know. Uh, let the lawyers come in, and and next thing you know, you've got a giant hat in front of uh, in front of this magnificent theater. But and it is, it, it is magnificent, and I think you, you made a great point about how. It wasn't the theater in 1989. It was the theater in the 20s and the 30s. That that vintage reference material that they used to, to to keep it in that look to sort of bring you back in time to the 20s and 30s and 40s. Yeah, absolutely. The only major difference. The only major difference is the ticket booth at uh, in Florida here is moved over to the side. It's moved over to the left as you're facing the building so that people get that clear view right into uh, uh, the entrance. I I also like the fact that uh, those two glass display cases outside uh, showcase two Disney animated uh, uh, films that uh, premiered there, Mary Poppins and and Jungle Book. And so that's nice to see, you know, those tickets and all that. But, my gosh, this was was the place to be. And I see guests go and... And try and put their handprints in the handprints of the uh, uh, celebrities who who put them there. You know, just as they do it. Uh, I'm a California boy, so I grew up going to Grauman's Chinese Theater. I I put my foot in those prints and my my hands and all that. And then then I was told that oftentimes actors would wear larger shoes <laughs> before they put in their things, and actresses would wear smaller shoes would literally squeeze their 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 feet into smaller shoes to to get in there. And it's you know, it's one of those things, Jim, I think that we see so many people often just run through, right? A lot of people, don't, maybe they don't look down, they don't care, they want to just get into the attraction. Because there are some great details, and I'm happy you mentioned things like the windows. But much like the original theater, the, the two traditional food dogs are outside. And if you look at the building, you know, look at the, the dragon, right? The typical Chinese dragon. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you how many people don't know that there is that, that water sculpture outside off to the left-hand side oh, as yes. well. Yeah, no, you're you're right on the mark, Lou. And and again, people need to to remember too that these are red dragons. So, in um, uh, Chinese culture, these are uh, good luck, you know, for all of this. And so, there's all that wonderful little uh, detailing. But I I think you know you're right. I, I I think fast pass has a lot to do with this nowadays too, or or just the the nature of the culture nowadays. Uh, you know. Uh, Immediate satisfaction is still takes too long. You've got to rush to this and rush to that and rush to the other thing. And one of the things that I always love about being on your show is that you do remind uh, the listeners that they should uh, look around, you know, look up, look down, look around the, the corners. You know, one of the things that it, they would see is there's that, that little plaque up there that, that said, uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater opened in 1928. And the first time I saw that, I was shocked and appalled. No, I know it's 1927. It wasn't even towards the end of 1927. It's the middle of 1927. You know, how could they possibly... And and you know the story behind that, right, Lou? Right. 1928 represents... So uh, this is one of the things that people talk about a lot, you know, that Disney made a mistake, 
you know, mm-hmm. 1928. Or they put 1928 there because it has something to do with Mickey Mouse. It has something to do with the studios. And, and that's not it at all. And I still, I, I understand the connection, although I don't necessarily understand the reason why they would put the track length on the plaque as opposed to the original theater opening date in May of 27. See, and I was confused about that in the beginning, too. It, it, it seemed to me that that really came out of left field, you know. But the more that I studied um, uh, the uh, uh, Chinese theater there, I saw that Imagineers were putting in joke references all over the place. And, and, and as we go through the various scenes in the ride, I'll, I'll, I'll point out a, a couple that are maybe a little uncommon. But I, I think these guys had had, you know, maybe a can of Coors beer or something, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, that's hilarious, you know, as as they go uh, go through some of that. But but there's all these little imagineering uh, uh, jokes in there, so, some, some that are evident, like in the in the alien scene where you have that computer at, at, at the bottom that's listing all of the names of the Imagineers, but it's also got, you know, all of those funny little... Um, expressions and, and hints and, and things like that that nobody, they expected nobody would ever see, that there right. would never be digital cameras that were that fast or Disney fans that were that obsessive, um, you know, that would be looking at that. So I'm, I'm assuming the 1928 up there was some type uh, of inside joke because it's the exact length of the track, you know, for crying out loud. There's, there's got to be something going on. But again, one of those little details on the outside that you miss. And there's lots of them, you know, certainly. And, and it, it, I was surprised because I think it's a little bit more prominent than the alien. Uh, usually people are, are cowering in the shoulders of who they're sitting next to when the alien used to pop out. But before we get into the attraction, you know, we're talking about the, the beauty of the pavilion. Another place, Jim, that I think it, it very much is lost on people who are, are rushing through, especially when the crowds are light, is in the interior queue, right? Mm. I, I think... And again, I, I'm a big proponent of, of stopping and looking up and looking around. From the carpeting to the ceiling to the, the beautiful murals on the wall, if, notwithstanding the, the display cases inside and, and the authentic movie memorabilia that's there, the theater queue before you get into that, that first sort of pre-show movie scene is beautiful. You're, you're absolutely right. And again, they're following that same lavishness um, of the uh, original uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater. You know, a, a lot of that is authentically uh, duplicated from that classic movie uh, uh, time period. And, and you're right, it, it, it's lush. And, and this is why they were, these places were called movie palaces. You know, they, you, you just came in and it would be like, like stepping into the lobby of the uh, Wilderness Lodge. It just takes your breath away. You know, th- there is nothing comparable in your life to prepare it to. And, and I also love the displays in those areas, and little did I suspect that those displays were going to be constantly changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I try to remind people, take pictures, take, you know, especially with the digital cameras where you, you, you can take, you know, a thousand pictures in a second and you've still got enough room, you know, for a hundred thousand more. Take all of the, the because there were so many things in those queue lines that from the Vaz Ruby Slippers to I, I remember they had the actual piano from Casablanca, which is one of my favorite films of all time, and I was surprised at how small it was, you know, because when you see it on screen, forty feet tall, it's just overpowering. But um, you know, you're absolutely right, and you know there are some um, secrets in that lobby. And so uh, if you're nice, a cast member uh, may point out uh, one or two things in the um, uh, figures mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, up above. And, and you probably don't realize, uh, too, that, uh, um, that that paneling right in front of you, just as you enter, if you pushed on it, you'd find it's, a, it's actually a door mm-hmm. where cast members can, you know, there's things back there. But, I think you, uh, you didn't hear it. You didn't hear it on WDW radio. You I, I didn't think, hear it on WDW radio. I okay. think what uh, I'm going to quickly, <laughs> I'm going to quickly move to before we get into sort of the the, the theater queue with the, with the films that are there. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those places too, Jim, where the cast members 
much like the Jungle Cruise, very much make the difference, right? From the cast members from the ex- at, uh, outside, who you can talk to and who really know their attraction very well, right? To the ones who are on the attraction themselves and can make or break it for you. And I remember being on the attraction maybe a year ago. Well, well I, I think every review you see on every site says the same thing. If you get a good cast member, this is a memorable, enhanced experience. Right. If, you, if you get a cast member who uh, you can't understand clearly what they're saying or they're, uh, you can tell when they're dragging, it just doesn't work. And the comparison with the Jungle Cruise is apt except for one thing. On the Jungle Cruise, there, there is opportunities for limited um, ad-libbing. There isn't on the right. great movie ride. And the reason for that is because of the way rights were signed off to some of those films or some of those actors. So there are certain things that you are required to say, and you can't say anything other than that about that particular moment or whatever. There, 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 is, there is still some leeway, and I've had some cast members who have tossed in some uh, movie facts that, that were great and really enhanced the, uh, the experience, but their script is, is, is a lot more structured than the Jungle Cruise one, and I'm sorry about that because I think if they had a little bit more freedom, it, because especially some of these uh, uh, kids working the, the, the ride, I'm sure are theater majors and, yeah. and would, <laughs> would love to go crazy. Well, when I was on a year ago, the, the, the person who was our cast member mm-hmm. performed as though it was his first day on the job and he was doing it for, for Bob Iger and every other Disney executive. And I got off the attraction, Jim, and I said, can I speak to a lead? Can I speak to a manager? Mm-hmm. And and then, then, oh, well, what's wrong? Oh, okay, what, sir. What's wrong, Mr. Mangiello? <laughs> Mr. Mangiello is upset. Please, please, get a manager here. Yes? So the manager comes over, and she was very gracious, and she had that look like, all right, I'm waiting for it. I says, listen, I just need to, I want to say something about the cast member on the thing. And she sort of gave me that look like, all right, here it comes. And I just said, he was exceptional. Like mm-hmm. I, you need to, people who are listening need to go out of their way not to only talk about cast members when you're unhappy, but if somebody goes out of their way to make your experience better, you don't know how much it means to that cast member and that manager to hear. And I said, I said he was exceptional and gave me the best great movie ride attraction experience I have ever had. Mm. And I and now, I do I appreciate was, that. Was this a gangster or was this a western? It was a gangster. Okay. It was a gangster, so which, which is the most common nowadays. Right. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think they. I think they only run the western uh, uh, scene from about, um, and don't hold me to this, but about eleven a.m. to uh, maybe two or three, and then on busy days, right. uh, bring that on. But if you ask, uh, cast members will put you in the appropriate line for either gangster or western scene. But I think a lot of people. Ask, yeah, some people don't even realize that there's that there are two separate scenes. Mm-hmm. So, but but you know, and, and you're talking about cast member. The the funny thing about the great movie ride is when they're in there, you know, you're in the tram, and the reason you're in a tram is it's recreating the experience of movie studios of taking a tram tour through the sets, you know, specifically Universal, except Universal is not represented anywhere in that attraction. Um, you keep, speaking, member, you keep speaking of this mythical place, universe that I've never even heard of before, but move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Michael Eisner claimed when Universal sued and said, well, he built Disney MGM Studios. He knew, by golly, where we were going to be building Universal uh, Orlando, but that's a, a, another story. But the cast member in the tram, when he gets up there and he, he's welcoming you and all of that, this is the first time that a Disney cast member says, yes. This is the perfect job for me. Hmm. Not role. Not any, go back and look at YouTube videos. Right, Next right. time you're on there, go take a look. But the script says, you know, I love the movies. This is the perfect job for me. Not role for me or, or whatever. I just thought I'd throw that in because I'm Jim Corcus. And <laughs> Jim Corcus is supposed to know these Jim things. Jim Corcus has a lot of free time on his hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so wait, just quickly, before we get to the attraction, I'm going to tell you, one of the things I love is the pre-show. I, I love sort of... Uh, the pre-show queue where you do the switchbacks, which really is sort of is meant to represent like a theater you would sit in, where they show those previews of the eight different films before you get in. Uh, I, I like a lot. Right? Uh, but, Lou, I'm going to stop you here because Lou's written all these trivia books. <laughs> Lou, what is the one trailer that is not shown in the preview, but there's a scene of it in the attraction? The Searchers. No, wait, that's the one film that's shown, but it's not represented in the attraction, right? It's, tra- it, it's not shown in the trailer. All of those trailers there have elements that are represented in the attraction. The searchers are even represented with, with John Wayne there, but there is a trailer missing for a major scene in the attraction. Oh, so you're saying, oh, I, I see what you're saying. One of the scenes is yeah. not... Okay, yeah, there, there's a trailer that's missing to represent one of the major scenes in the attraction. And uh, people at home are yelling at you. Wizard Yell, of Oz. Where are the, where are the Wizard, Fox people when we need them? Wizard where are of the Oz. Fox people? Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Yep. And, and, and we'll get to be talking about that, but yeah, it, it has to do with number of minutes you can see Wizard of Oz. Yeah, people don't realize, and, and that's sort of going back to, uh, you know, working with MGM, not just for the name, but for the uh, the rights to the films. You know, obviously you can tell the story about how Wizard of Oz was really, it, it was done on a minute-by-minute minute basis, and that's why the scenes are what they are. But we'll, we'll get to that as we get to it. Right. Um, all right so and, let, let, and if we don't get to it on this show, because we love to talk, we'll get to <laughs> no, it in the second no, no, no. part. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, so let's sort of take it. Let's sort of take it scene by scene, and, and right, you kick it off with a film that I could pretty much promise that ninety-five percent of the people who are in the attraction, if not more, have never seen, cannot identify, and have probably never heard a Footlight Parade with James Cagney. Right now, now before we get there, I also want to point out, and you didn't hear this on WDW Radio, <laughs> but when you're on the tram, right before you go underneath the marquee, because you're going into the movies, that's that's why there's no track. It, it, they're using that uh, uh, same technology they use in Universe of Energy, where there's a wire, you know, in the concrete there, and the tram is following that wire. That's why you don't have to worry that. You know, your uh, uh, cast member there is not paying attention to move the wheel on the car. But right as you go underneath the marquee, of course, there's a sign saying Hollywood and Vine. So you're going down Hollywood Boulevard here. Over to the right, that is the section where in the safe they keep the blank guns. Because safety is the number one thing at, at Disney, and so... Uh, gangsters and the and the cowboys and cowgirls who you know uh, I guess there's only a cowgirl um, uh, use the blank guns. They have to go through training. They have to be checked out, and the guns they have to sign out the gun so there's no playing around and all that. And it's right in those safe, right there to the right. And I and I point that out so when the zombie apocalypse comes and you need a gun, <laughs> that's not where you want to go to get it. Great movie ride. That's where you should be going. You don't need to. Okay, don't need so we're going to Footlight yeah, let's Parade. Go to Footlight Parade, right? And, and and you're making me sad with Footlight Parade. And there. I think we're sad for the same reasons because you and I have, and, and because we're getting older, our memories are getting vaguer. But we <laughs> recall when that 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 beautiful pyramid of women, right, mm-hmm. had the bubbles come down and it moved. And I and I people I say this that it used to move and, all the time. And not not only did it move. But the bottom tier moved clockwise, and then um, the one on top of that moved counterclockwise accordingly, all the way up there. So, so these are twirling, and there is water coming mm-hmm. out, spraying out from that. And, and you have uh, uh, women mannequins up there on diving boards, rather, you know, ready to, to dive in. And now... Footlight Parade has become the disco yeti of the great movie ride. <laughs> you, you 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 put down this scrim and you 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 know you you put on a couple of uh, you know uh, uh, images on it and you try and twirl them and see it, it looks like it's really moving if you squint your eyes and turn your head to the left. 
but again, uh, what was happening is the, the mecha- mechanism was very heavy, and uh, so they were constantly having problems with that. And also the water, uh, and you would think they would have accounted for this, w- was getting out, was getting into the tracks and flooding the tracks. Yeah, water and electronics don't mix very well. No, and uh, well, and and especially when the water's even you know bashing up against the uh, 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 tram there, and you know you're worried about okay, is this going to affect the connection underneath? And to make things worse, because we're getting to that next scene with singing in the rain, the umbrella used to be open, mm-hmm. but footlight parade couldn't keep water in their own scene. <laughs> it was going out and it was hitting this open umbrella and it was splattering to on the people into in the um in the tram. Not a good thing. Splash Mountain in great <laughs> that's why we love great movie right. It, it it has all of those elements. It, it it has that expedition Everest disco yeti element. It it it's got the splash uh, mountain element here. Yeah. But, yeah. but yes, Footlight Parade uh, was a magnificent um, way of entering into the, the chronology of movie cinema, but but also a, uh, a a very cool, if you weren't familiar with the film, a very cool physical kinetic thing to see. And it was like, oh my gosh, I can hardly wait for what's next. Now it's dead. <laughs> Well, it's it's one of those things like the Yeti. If you didn't know it was broken, you don't know it's broken, right? You know, because I have people. I, well, who... I, I I I guess that I guess that's true. If if I see a Yeti, I I'm I'm always suspicious it's going to move. <laughs> <laughs> Just look at the blinking strobes and and move on and move yes, on. Yes. So, all right, so let's move on to Singing in the Rain, Gene Kelly, 1952. Um, Gene Kelly, the audio animatronic, like all the celebrities who have um, sort of audio animatronic animatronic cameos, he mm-hmm. inspected his animatronic before, like you said, um, with. Um, uh, well, he he had to approve because again he was uh, alive, and you you have to realize, and as we get it through the attraction, we'll talk more about this, that uh, these people have estates, and estates have to sign off that. Yes, you know, uh, that person can be represented in, in that way, and it's caused some interesting things in the attraction itself. Gene Kelly w- was still alive, but the Imagineers know that actors are very vain. You know, um, they, they, they think they look better than they actually do, or, or, or they're more sensitive to aspects like a, a large ear or whatever. So before they took Gene Kelly in there to approve the figure... They took him out for drinks. <laughs> <laughs> now, now there's some debate about how many drinks, <laughs> but the the bottom line was when they took him in and he saw that he said, "Oh well, that's fine." Uh, and a, a lot of people don't realize that in the movie itself, they're not using water; mm-hmm. they're using milk, so it can be seen on film. Right. You know, uh, so th- so that's very interesting. And again. Water was splashing off of this, so now he's got it, uh, you know, folded up uh, in his hands. But again, I wonder how many kids today watch Singing in the Rain, or if they watch Singing in the Rain, they go, well, that's a ripoff of that movie, uh, The Artist. <laughs> right, or they, they see the umbrella at, at Hollywood Studios outside on the streets of America and go, oh, that's that scene from the great yeah. movie ride. Yeah, I know yeah, what that's Yeah, right. yeah. But you finally get to Mary Poppins, and this is the one that I, I think, Jim, that is so iconic. Uh, however old it may be, everybody knows it. Everybody knows the music. Everybody, it, it's immediately identifiable. Um, I, I would I would say for the most part, yes. You know, as we talked about earlier, next year it's hitting its fiftieth uh, birthday, though. So it. But again, I think thanks to the Broadway musical, you know, it it it's it's still fresh. Uh, uh, as well, and 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 again, I think very very clever of how, you know, Mary uh, uh, rises up and and back down. It it took it took me a couple of rides to try and figure out because you look behind the Mary Poppins figure and there's nothing, you know, and there there's no wires, there's no, you know, so you have to. Oh, that's how they. Oh my gosh! But even when you know, you still go. 
how do they do that? How do they do that? You know? So I, I, I think, um, and, and who doesn't love hearing Julie Andrews sing, right? Right. Well, so let's sort of just quickly stop. Let's stop the tram for a second, and let's take these three films together. Footlight Parade, Singing in the Rain, Mary Poppins, representing the musical genre, right? Yes. I, and, and, and not only the musical genre, but the development of the musical genre. Right. The, the development from the 30s and 40s with Busby Berkeley, you know, to now you're getting into... Um, you know the '50s and '60s with with a Gene Kelly, and then into the uh, mid '60s and beyond with Mary Poppins. So, yeah, what what a great way to start a show. And when we start to think about updates, you know, do those three films change? Look, I'm not saying to put High School Musical in, right? <laughs> you know, but high, high school what? Does anybody, I know, right. does anybody still talk about? Does anybody still talk about that? But you know, it, 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 isn't it? Uh, um, Wet night story or wet beach party? I, I don't beach even know party, the title. Yeah, the, the new beach. But so, what are the new? You know, what are the more relevant musicals? Right. I still think. Look, I'm a child of the '80s. Grease is the first one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it's you know from from stage to screen, everybody kind of knows Grease. Everybody knows Mary Poppins. Would Would you put Chicago in there? As Chicago won all those awards, both on stage and and at the the Oscars, but is that an iconic enough right. image? Uh, Everybody knows Grease Lightning. I I cannot tell you a song. I literally cannot tell you a song from Chicago. Okay. So I so uh, no, what's no uh, no uh, fair enough. But but again, that that's the that's the same uh, conundrum that faced uh, the Imagineers. You know, when you when you make a choice, you've got to make that choice based on. My gosh, you know what, what is the quality of this? What what are the memories that it's it's going to uh, uh, generate for for guests who are seeing this? Um, you know, in in addition to you know, can we get the rights to this? Can we afford this? Whatever. But just on the very basic level, um, what musicals would would you include in there? Uh, because again, they didn't pick uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. You right. know. They they did they didn't uh, uh, pick you know uh, uh, sound of music. Right, I was say, sound pick... of music was maybe the only one you know relatively recent. I mean, but that's how you know again how modern is it? Mm-hmm. You know, so a good call. You know, and and in fact, uh, are there good mu- movie musicals out there within the last ten years? That, that, that people would, oh my gosh, yes, Footloose. Would you put Footloose in there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. So the audio animatronics would have seven degrees of separation <laughs> from a Kevin Bacon audio animatronic. That would work. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I'm trying to think of ones in the last couple of years. Um, you know, Newsies? Les Mis, Les Mis, maybe, you know, I'm trying to think. Les Mis, yeah. But, but again, I, I don't know whether some of these would have um, that same right. impact, that, that emotional right. impact. You know, if, if Footlight Parade, I still, even though it's broken, it I, I still get an emotional impact from it because for me it represents all of those musical films in the 30s and and early 40s. And and Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite films of all time. I can watch it over and over and over. And of course, uh, Mary Poppins is uh, wonderful. And for, and for those of you in the uh, uh, Detroit, Michigan area, this weekend, while Lou is off enjoying himself in Alani with Hula Girl... Working. I'm working. <laughs> work, I'll be up in uh, Detroit, Michigan. They have an old restored movie palace called uh, the Redford Theater that is just opening this weekend, and they are showing three screenings of Mary Poppins. And I'm going to be talking, uh, you know, about the making of, of Mary Poppins and, of course, some of those famous Jim Corcus. Where did he ever find out that story? Right, wait, but, but if what? any of you are in the Detroit area, it's only five bucks. They're only charging five bucks, and uh, money is going to the Michigan uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. All right, real quick, before we leave the musicals, I'm going to show what a total dork I am and child of the 80s. Fame. Okay. You're like, what? Fame. That's the only music, other musical I could think of. So my, my three are Fame, Grease, and 
Mary Poppins. <laughs> well, I, I, we, we'll, we'll see what your listeners could you, uh, uh, contribute, because they are a lot smarter than the two of us put together. I, because I, I, I have a feeling they probably wouldn't consider um, the Blues Brothers or Purple Rain Break into Electric Boogaloo or Blazing Saddles to be musicals. So. Are you pulling something up on Google here right now? No, I'm thinking back. I'm like, okay, what other movies did I li- that I listen to that I actually own soundtrack? I mean, not they own the soundtrack for Blazing Saddles, but it's a musical. You know, you know, and, 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 again, Khan. and again, I think the key point, too, is do you walk out of the movie singing that song or whistling that song? You know? I, well, the Blues Brothers, yes. I actually did <laughs> the same thing for fame, but... And I own Purple Rain on anyway. You know, sometime, sometime for one of your meet and greets, we should probably dress up as the Blues Brothers. We could do that. I, I, I don't I know won't how sing. we would work that as sing. a Disney connection, but uh, <laughs> but but you, you have so many meet and greets, and uh, 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 you can have a karaoke contest there with that. So Wait. anyway, all right. All right, let's we're, go. we're out of the musicals. We're out of musicals, into the underworld. And this is the one where you, you sort of, you know the character... Right, you sort of know the Cagney Robinson characters, but how many uh, people Humphrey know? Humphrey Bogart. Don't leave out Humphrey Bogart. Right, but how many people Rath. know the films? Right, Public Enemy and, and Little Caesar. Mm-hmm. Well, it, what you say is we've we've gone through the musicals, which is an important film genre, especially in the in in, in the forties, and now we're going into gangster films, and of course, this was the realm of um, Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers really had a lock on doing gangster films. And yes, there are references uh, in here, very strong references to uh, a James Cagney movie um, uh, and called Public Enemy. And, and in fact, you'll see some of those buildings there. The, the Patrick J. Ryan bar, right. that's a bar that gets blown up in the film. And uh, You Drive Garage, that, that that's part of that uh, as well. And Cagney standing out in front of... Um, uh, Red Oak Social Club. That's a scene from the movie with one major difference. That is not the outfit that Cagney was wearing in the movie. His estate, his family would not sign off until they put him in a tux because they wanted people to come through and see James Cagney looking good. Not like a gangster. Right. So he, he's he's in a tux, but not as he is uh, in the movie. But but there's other elements in there too. There's uh, the red and blue uh, cab company. If you look at that, that's from a uh, movie with Cagney and Humphrey Bogart uh, called Roaring Twenties. But again, they're all Warner's films. But again, here's detail that you're missing as you're going through there. You're waiting to see Cagney, or you're listening to. You're not looking over to the left. Mm-hmm. Right before Patrick J. Ryan's bar, if you take a look, there's. Um, these glycerin puddles on the ground, and and there's a newspaper over there too that's got a headline and got stories and got and nobody takes a picture of that. Nobody takes a picture of some of these other little items. And then one of the things that bothers me about the the gangster scene is just like the haunted mansion. This is one of the ones where cast members have tried to impose themselves into the scene, and so. Uh, you had a cast member who put a hidden Mickey up in the warehouse window, and they kept taking it down, and he kept coming in. Even on his days off, he kept coming in <laughs> in the morning to put it up there until he finally wore him down. So Imagineers came up with a uh, a hidden Mickey up there. But, you know, I don't necessarily think that cast members should impose themselves on an attraction, you know, right. like at the Haunted Mansion. Well, that ring was... You know, thrown there by the the husband. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Don't don't tell people that. And Yale Gracie is the owner of the mansion. No, he isn't. Don't tell people that. But you tell that story over and over and over, and it becomes the truth. It so be- when they do the rehab of the haunted mansion, they actually put a ring down there. Right. They it, they do the movie, and Yale Gracie is is the lord of the manor, and that was that was not the intent. You know. Um, I'm getting out my grumpy old man cane, waving it in the air, venting. But there's other things about the gangster scene. Talk about some of these, Lou. Well, so uh, before I want to talk about the gangster scene, let, let's sort of talk about uh, updates, right? Is this one that, that does it stay? Is this the representation of the gangster genre? 
I put, put, put in Godfather. How do you not put in Godfather? Not three, because it doesn't really count. Like the like the second Star Wars trilogy, it doesn't count. You put in Godfather one and two, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is the. I mean, it is the. You know, pardon the mm-hmm. pun. It is the Godfather of Godfather movies. See, if, if it wasn't a TV show, I'd, I'd I'd say you know Sopranos and have a James Gandolfini audio animatronic in Good there. Good I, 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 you know, I, Scarface. I think, you see, I, I think uh, Godf- Godfather is the the iconic go-to gangster film now for 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 everyone. You know, I, I was thinking, well, maybe Scarface with Al Pacino, and you know, it, it, I I still think Godfather would have that that moodiness mm-hmm. in, in there too, and and you could do some uh, you know some uh, frightening aspects in there. Yeah, and it's, you know, how you represent those films. You know, if you look in the scenes here in the underworld, there's nothing violent about it, right? You you sort of have to pick these scenes. Well, you got and, a car coming out shooting no, at no, you I, I mean, people shooting at you. No, 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 that's not violent no, at all. I mean the representation. No, 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 no. That's, I mean that's the representation just nitrogen in there of, that's coming out at you. Listen to me. I mean the representation <laughs> of the actors and the scenes from the movies, the, the specific scenes from, like, you know, uh, Public Enemy with James Cagney. He's just sort of standing there looking very ominous, but he, he himself, the animatronic, is not, it's not a representation of a violent scene. Certainly what you do when we get through... See, I, I, I'd, I'd have a scene of Marlon Brando behind the desk, but that's right. raised, so as you come in, you can just see that face, and maybe even you have some, some figures surrounding and facing him, so you can, you know, get that sense of... You feel like you're in that room, right? You feel like you're sitting in that room with him, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's what. What else are we going to say about the gangster scene here? Because there's a there's a lot in there. People people talk about it uh, all the time. You you know you've got those uh, uh, two audio animatronic uh, gangsters that uh, uh, pop up. They're actually uh, uh, reused uh, audio animatronics from Pirates of the Caribbean. Although in this scene they're called um, uh, Squint and Bean. Mm-hmm. See, and, and 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 I've got I've got to figure. This is the Imagineers having fun. There, there is, there is no gangster movie ever because <laughs> I've seen a lot of them, and especially from the '30s and '40s, where there's Squint and Bean. Squint is not a very tough name. Like you would have got beaten up in high school if your nickname was Squint. <laughs> you wouldn't be. Were a, you the you one know... doing the beating up? <laughs> you know the the ones the bandits and the band. We'll get to the bandits, but they have more. You know those are true sort of bandit westerny kind of names. At least Muggsy, all right, it has that feeling from the 30s, but Squint? Bean? No, I'm not, I'm not intimidated. Well, and, and, and again, one of, see, this is, uh, the great movie ride has really been fairly well documented, you know, especially on the internet, but everybody brings up the things over the, t- over the time. But, but for those who are not familiar, uh, the license plate on the, uh, the car is 0214 Two nine, which is February fourteenth, nineteen twenty nine, which was the Saint Valentine's Day massacre in in Chicago, and um, yes, the, the, those guns are not shooting blanks and and all of that. That's that's literally you know uh, nitrogen and and a mixture of things coming out. So you know, no no tram riders are are hurt on this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on on this uh, this uh, experience and and yes this is this is what is I, I believe this is what is uh, considered the A version of the ride mm-hmm. where you have a real live gangster Muggsy come out right and and originally wasn't it that only I'm gonna make sure I get this right males were the gangsters and females yeah. were bandits. Right, and now there's a fe- there's right. a female the, the first, uh, Okay, and and for those of you who are keeping track for for the multiple keeping, choice quiz, <laughs> we'll be coming up at the end home. of the show. Uh, it was uh, 2000 where you you got the first girl gangster, and you also got the first um, male um, uh, cowboy. You know, because basically what it was was the males would play the gangster and the female would play. Uh, uh, Kate and I can't remember the name offhand right now in in the western scene, but yep, the, times they are a changing. So in two thousand, you have a girl, but she's still called Muggsy. With an but I. when a girl plays the part, 
It's an I instead of a Y at the end of the name. Right. And it was, it, it was, it's Kate Durango. Was the, See? And Kid Carson. That, that's why I do these shows with you, is, is you represent the brain cells in my head that are, <laughs> that are dying every day, you know, so you're recovering that. Now, now, you know, we've been talking about this for an hour. Do you think this is going to be another uh, two-part show that we I should th- wrap up now and uh, have people tune in uh, uh, next week wearing their WDW radio T-shirt? <laughs> Jim, you are my brother from another mother because you read my mind, right? I think this is, this is appropriate because I want to make sure we give the rest of the attraction and our discussion its due, right? Mm-hmm. But what I want to know from listeners up to this point is let's talk about those first two scenes, right? Those, those first two genres, the musicals and the gangsters. If you are an Imagineer, you've got unlimited budget. Let's forget about the legal rights and ramifications and wranglings. What films do you put in to accurately represent the movie musical and the gangster film? You can post on the Facebook page over at facebook.com slash Radio. You can tweet me at Lou Mangiello or come by the show notes over at www.radio.com. Click on this week's podcast. Leave your answer in the comment section Jim and I will be checking that as well. We'll leave our thoughts uh, in there too. And then tune in next week for the second part and also find out why we're deciding to cover the great movie ride right now and how you can be a part of the movies. How you can be in the movie exactly. with Lou Mangiello. Exactly. We'll sort of just tease it and let that go. But what I want you to do in the meantime, after you're done listening to the show and leaving your comments, is I do want you to go back to the show notes because there I'm going to put links to Jim Corcus's library, litany of books, Who's Afraid of Song of the South, The Revised Vault of Walt, lots of great stuff. Again, the only place you can find the stories that you cannot hear anywhere else. And Jim, you know I'm a big fan, especially of the Vault of Walt series and Song of the South, so people should definitely go and check them out. They're in print, they're on the Kindle, they're on the iBook, whatever your iDevice is, you can get it there too. Lou, you're you're a wonderful friend, and I've always loved uh, uh, your audience, and I always love meeting them uh, in person as well. So, uh, folks, we always intend for these to just be one-off shows. <laughs> <laughs> we really do, but but we we just get so excited, and we want you to have all of this material and to have accurate material out there. Both both Lou and I do extensive research before we uh, get together to do these things. It's not just off the uh, uh, top of our heads. So thank you for being so supportive of WDW Radio and tune in next week for a thrilling adventure from yesteryear. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I ask you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history, see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, or maybe even what you hear, and then randomly select one winner from all the correct entries for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I was talking about how so many things in Walt Disney World are overlooked, from the smallest details and stories to even some major attractions, and one of them is actually the magic of Disney animation. In this interactive presentation, you are taught the basics of creating an animated character and the importance of character development in Disney movies, and actually get to try your hand using the Disney animator's instructions at creating your own Disney animated character. Great free souvenir you can take home as well. And so my question to you last week was very simple, was during that segment called Drawn to Animation, where the artist teaches you about drawing some of the Disney characters, you're taught about the importance of character development by one of Disney's famous animated characters himself. So your question last week was simply, who was it? Who is that Disney animated character that joins you in the Drawn to Animation section? And again, the hundreds of you that answered, answered correctly, and it is, of course, Mushu from Mulan. And a little bit of extra trivia. Now, while Eddie Murphy did the voice of, of Mushu in the Mulan film, voice artist Mark Mosley provides the voice of Mushu in the attraction. So again, thanks to all of you who entered. I randomly selected one winner from all the correct entries, and this week's winner who gets 
All six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WW Radio luggage tag, button, and a signed copy of my Walt Disney World trivia book and a mystery ticket is Judy Keller. So Judy, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, thanks so much for entering, but don't worry because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So as long as we're talking about the great movie ride, let's stay with the great movie ride. And on the attraction, your cast member takes you through the various scenes and genres as if you are on a real backlot studio tour. And along the way, he or she tells you what his or her favorite of the many genres you experience is. So tell me, according to that script, which doesn't change, what is your tour guide's favorite genre? Is it the Western, sci-fi, horror, musical, maybe one of the other ones? You tell me. You have until Sunday, July 14th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. You'll be playing for all the audio tours, a luggage tag, button, and a WDW Radio t-shirt. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Be sure and tune in next week for part two of our DSI of The Great Movie Ride. Also, be sure and stay tuned to this week's WW Radio Live newscast, Wednesday at 7.30 over at WW Radio Live. I'm going to have information about our upcoming e-ticket event weekend and why it ties into The Great Movie Ride. If you don't catch it live this or every week, you can also catch the audio in our iTunes feed, the video on the YouTube channel, and on the WW Radio blog. Speaking of the website, be sure and visit www.radio.com. We have multiple blog posts every day, including self-shot Tuesdays, photo contests, lots more. We also have new videos, including my new Disney in a Minute video series, where each week I take you throughout the Walt Disney World theme parks and resorts, and in about 60 seconds' times, I introduce you to some of the hidden treasures, overlooked experiences, and tips and tricks to get the most out of your Walt Disney World vacation. Again, you can find it on the blog, in the iTunes feed, which you can subscribe to on iTunes, or by subscribing to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Radio. Also, while you're there, be sure and sign up for our new free weekly email newsletter for exclusive content, contests, deals, information updates, and lots more. You can also download the free WW Radio app for your iPhone and Android device. You can find and contact me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello, Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. You can subscribe to my page there. You can also call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391 with a question, comment, or just a hello from the parks. Or if you have a question you want answered on the show, email me at Lou at WWRadio.com. But in addition to connecting with you virtually, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why we have a number of live events in and out of Walt Disney World. You can visit the events page over at www.radio.com for more information. And our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World is going to be Saturday, July 27th at 9.30 a.m. Join us for Breakfast on the Boardwalk. I thought this month we would have a meet outside the park, so if you don't have a park ticket or you're blacked out, you can join us on the boardwalk from 9.30 to 11 a.m. You can grab a coffee, some breakfast, and join with us over at the seating area by the water. Again, park admission not required. Hope you can join us there. You can find more information about the event on the events page and our Facebook events page as well, too. And speaking of events not in Walt Disney World, our next on-the-road event is next week at Disney's Aulani Resort in Hawaii. I'll be out there for a week with some WW Radio listeners, and I'll be broadcasting live from the resort on Wednesday, July 17th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern at WDWRadioLive.com. I'll also have updates via Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Great way to sort of share our experience there. Hope you can join us live, watch, and be part of the conversation as well. I want to say quickly thank you to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel, who's joining us out in Alani next week. Whether you're going to Alani or Disney World or Land or any Disney destination, Becky and her team give you the best possible prices, all available discounts, all with an incredible level of personal service. It's who I use, and that's a big reason why. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And if you can't get to the parks as often as you like, and really, who can? You can get some magic delivered to you right at home or your digital device by subscribing to order back issues of Celebrations Magazine, celebrating its five-year anniversary this year over at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. 
tweet out that you're listening. Come by, comment, and share links to your favorite episodes over on Facebook. And please come by, rate and review the show and the app over on iTunes. It's very, very helpful and very much appreciated. And most importantly, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for taking the time to tune in and connect with me online or send me emails and for letting me do what I love and share my passion for Disney with you each and every day in so many different ways. I'm incredibly grateful, and I want you to do the same thing. I want you to do what you love each and every day. So remember that while you can't go back in time and create a new beginning, you can start today and make a new ending to your life. Have faith. Always keep moving forward and do what you love each and every day. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks so much again for listening. So until next time, see ya. Uncle Orville lives. Hi, this is Ken from Philadelphia. I've been listening to your show for ages, it seems. I've called a few times. But I just, uh, you're teaching at, uh, I'm a professor at Drexel University. I just was talking to a guy who was behind his coffee cart here in 95 degree heat and he just had his fan on only and I said, why not an air conditioner? He goes, it won't work, you know, with the window open here and our generator won't take it. And I said, you know what I think might work? Just get like a big bag of ice or a big bucket of ice from the 7-Eleven there and put it in front of your fan and let it run. And it might just work, thanks to Uncle Orville's ingenuity. And... uh Today I walk in and there he is with his ice in front of his fan and he thanked me very much and I got myself a free cup of coffee from it. Thank you, Uncle Orville. And thank you, Lou Mangello. Take care. Bye. Hey, Lou. Wesley Snyder calling. I had this crazy idea to go to Disney for 365 consecutive days. I've always kind of wanted to do it. I always thought, oh, someday maybe I'll retire and I'll head down there. Well, I just spoke with my wife, and I said, what if we did it now? We have a daughter who's not yet in school. We have another one on the way in a couple of months. I said, what if we did it now? What do you think? And she said, sure. So we're going to maybe try a Kickstarter or some way of earning some money, raising some money for it. And then if we can get enough money to cover our bills for a year, we are going to move to Orlando, and I will make a point of going to Disney every single day for 365 days. Hot, cold, sunny, rainy hurricanes, I will be there if we can raise enough money. So it's just gone from a dream to a let's actually check this out and see if it's doable to a now let's see if we can work it. So I'd share with you um, if this was to happen. I'd see you at least a dozen times at some meetups. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You've got